0: What a joy it is to be here again this evening. I am so grateful for your attendance. I know it is Tuesday night, the evening of a beautiful spring day, and there are several other places that you could be, but you have made the decision to be here, and I appreciate that, and I admire that about you. If we do have visitors, we do have visitors tonight, and I welcome you on behalf of the congregation here and invite you to be back. Thank you for being here. We also have in the audience someone who is very dear to me. I remember when his parents announced that they were pregnant with twins. We all laughed because we knew the older two boys. (laughs) And uh, when they were born, they were identical. I always knew them as the Red Boys, and when I worked with the youth at the Forest Park Congregation, they became my boys. And Kevin and his wife and their son Luke is here tonight, and they worship in this area at Oliver Creek, a relatively new congregation in the Memphis area. But I am honored that they took the time to come here tonight. I hope that Luke is everything that his daddy was and more for several reasons— I can remember him misbehaving in church and I asked Luke tonight, are you going to misbehave in church? And he said he was. I was glad about that. Uh, But uh, the red boys were always good boys, good examples and children that I love very much. And I'm honored that you're here tonight. Matthew chapter 16. The question was asked by our Savior, who do men say that I am. And they said, some said that you're John the Baptist, and some say that you're Elias. Some say that you're Jeremiah and one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but do who do you say that I am? And quite like previous history, Simon Peter spoke up. And he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the fact that you have just spoken that I am the Son of God, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus made this statement which had been in the mind of God from before the foundations of the world. Jesus had come, as we've already said, on that longest missionary journey from the very throne room of heaven down to this earth and it had reached a time to where he was going to build his church, the ecclesia, the place where the saved dwell, the called out, the church of God, the foundation The foundation of the truth. They were known as the way, those who were the members of it. But on top of all of that, they were blood-bought by the very Son of God. And he added them. Those who were being saved daily to the church. Acts chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 1. Brother Paul there beginning to explain to them where they were in Christ and what it meant to be in Christ. I love the book of Ephesians. I wish we had time to study it in its completeness. The first three chapters are that of doctrine. The last three chapters are that of practical living. If it was the only epistle we had, we would have that which is sufficient to live a life in Christ, to meet the standards in which God has laid out for us. We know more about this congregation at Ephesus than we know of any other congregation in the first century. We know its beginnings. We know where it was in the middle. We know her shepherds. We also know that as she aged that she had problems with knowing and remembering her priorities. But Brother Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, in heavenly places. He then goes on and he says he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame and before him in love. He then goes and he talks about this place where we are in Christ at the end of this chapter as man has divided it. In verse number 22 he says that he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Notice the definite article The church. You'll see that definite article again, and I will build my church. You'll see it singular, definitive, more than one time, that Jesus said, I will build my church, a church, and not a church, but the church. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. John, who received the revelation of Jesus Christ on the Isle of Patmos, talked about the church. ...named her as the bride... ...identified himself as the bridegroom... ...he says one day that he'll deliver that bride to the father... ...that being the church... ...brothers and sisters, friends, neighbors... ...I present to you tonight that the church that Jesus built... ...is the greatest institution that eternity has ever seen... ...it far outweighs the importance of the home... ...and I am an advocate of the home... And I believe that we ought to strive to have a home such as God laid out in his holy writ. I believe that we need men who will be men and women who will be women and understand their God-given role in the home from which they came and what's the one that they live in currently. I believe we need men to be fathers and women to be mothers, children to be children, grandparents to be grandparents, uncles to be uncles, aunts to be aunts. And we need to understand that and we need to fulfill that role. And the home is where the church is perpetuated, but it stands in the shadows of the greatest institution in all of eternity, the church, the body of Christ. I believe in this great nation in which we live in. I believe we ought to hit our knees more frequently than we do and pray that the great God of heaven will continue to bless America. And if we're ever going to see change come in our country, it's going to have to begin with us, those who fear God and know God. And I believe in this country. I'm thankful that God saw fit to plant me in this time of history to where I could live in the United States of America, where we can come to worship To where we can go to work, to where we can make a living, to where we can raise a family without fear of persecution from our government. And I believe as the world stands today that this is, without doubt, the greatest country on the face of this planet. But it stands in the shadow of the church that Jesus built, that was in the mind of God from eternity. I'm proud to be from the great state of Georgia. I hope that was an amen. (laughs) I am a purebred Georgian. I've lived in the same 20-mile radius all my life. My daddy's people are from Henry County, Georgia, where I live now. My child is a seventh generation. I eat a tablespoon of Henry County dirt every day just because I like it. And I'm proud to be from the great state of Georgia. I've been blessed and honored in ways that I never dreamed possible in Henry County. The shock of my life as a citizen of that county came to me in, about three years ago when I was named Citizen of the Year. And what a great honor it was for me to receive that. And as much as I love Georgia, and as much as I love Henry County, its greatness wanes in the shadow of the church that Jesus built that was in the mind of God from eternity. And you and I have the privilege to be a part of that great eternal institution, the church. We've been looking at tonight involvement. Involvement, or this week, involvement for the sake or for Jesus' sake. Sunday night we looked at involvement for my sake Monday night we looked at involvement for the lost sake and tonight we're going to look at being involved for the church's sake. Brothers and sisters, this institution that you and I know and enjoy that will go on through the portals of eternity, that death itself will not step, stop, Jesus promised us, is the greatest, valuable, most wonderful ent- entity that we have in this world. And we need to love it to the point that we'll lay our life down for it. We need to love it to the point that we will sacrifice all that God has blessed us with to see her grow. And to see her fame become known throughout all this world. Tonight, I want to give you just a few points from my humble observation. How we are to involve ourselves and seeing it that the church remains the church of the New Testament and how we are going to perpetuate her borders throughout this world in which we live. I'm not asking you if you would like to take notes. I'm going to give you seven quick points. I know you just said, huh, yeah, seven quick points. I'll give you seven points and I'll do it as quickly as I know how. But I believe there are points worthy of writing down for you to think about and look at later because we must get involved in growing the church and perpetuating the church that Jesus built. If we're going to be involved to the point to where we can see the church grow, there's something that we must never let leave our mind. And that is we must have a great commission vision. Where there is no vision, there is no growth. Where there is no vision, there is no hope. Where there is no vision, there is stagnation which leads to termination. And we must have among ourselves a great commission vision. Uh, we hear people talking about a vision for their church and how they, they want to grow it to this point or they want a facility that looks like that or they want to see this program added and that program added. And I'm saying that's a short-sighted vision. We've got to have the vision that Jesus had when Jesus told us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. He told us as we go, as we are going to make disciples and to teach them... All things. I like the promise he made, and you'll notice that Jesus made this promise more than once, but he made it to us on the account that we be on the go. And lo, I am with you always. I've got his promise that he's with me, but I've got to be on the go in order to cash it in. We've got to have a great commission vision to where we see the world. As our territory. And we see that we have the resources and the ability. And we have the boldness to take the gospel to all the world. If we don't have a vision. And a plan on how we're going to get there. Then we're not going to go anywhere. Brothers and sisters. The great commission vision starts at home. The mission field may be sleeping in the room next to you. It may be sleeping in the bed with you. We've got to start at home and see the world as our territory. We need to involve ourselves to the point that we see the church grow and mature with a great commission vision. Number two, the church must have in order for it to grow. And we must be involved in making this happen. A strong servant leadership. Now I hope you're paying attention to me because we think in words. We don't think, I mean we think in pictures, not in words. When I said a particular word, you don't see it spelled out. You see what you perceive that word to define in your mind. I believe... That the eldership, the shepherds, the bishops, the pastors have been ordained by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 20 verse number 28. He was, Paul was talking to those elders from Ephesus and he said for them to shepherd the flock which the Holy Spirit had made them overseers. I believe that the eldership has authority. I don't believe it has authority outside of God's word, but I believe it has authority concerning how and which we do things. And as long as it is in sync with God's word, I believe we don't have uh, anything other than a responsibility than to follow their leadership. But let's not burden the eldership with all of the leadership. Do you hear what I'm saying? We have burdened our shepherds to the point that we will not step up under their authority and delegation and under their oversight and lead. We expect all leadership to exude from the eldership and that is not God's plan for his church. Barnabas, an example in case. One of the greatest leaders in the first century church. According to scripture, we have no record where he ever served as a deacon or as a shepherd. And we could even not even classify him as a preacher, though he was on missionary journeys and did much preaching. I hope you're beginning to see the point that we've all got to take advantage of our ability to lead And we're all leaders in some shape, form, or fashion. You have an influence that never dies. You have an influence that will either be for good or for bad. You all have ability in some shape, form, or fashion to lead. And we must all have a servant mind and a strong servant mind for leadership. We need leaders who know where they're going. Leaders who have vision. And you know it takes leadership to be a part of the followership. Do you hear what I'm saying? It takes leadership to be a part of the followership. And we must follow our elders, but we can help lead as they lead us. And we must have the mind of a servant. I'm reminded of the story about the leader who had no followers. The reality was he was just on a walk. We must have leadership that is willing to serve. Remember, I gave the recipe earlier this week. The greatest in God's kingdom are the ones who are the dirtiest in the vineyard of the Lord. Servant leadership. The second, third point is we must have a trained membership. If we're going to be involved in seeing the church grow, we must be involved in training its membership. Take your copy of the scripture and go with me to Ephesians chapter 4 if you would. There's a verse in here and chapter 4 is all about church growth. I understand in chapter 4 there are some things that are more specific to the first century and dealing with the miraculous Uh, measure of the Holy Spirit but it's all about church growth it starts out with unity and we're not going to grow if we're not unified and it tells us how to be unified I really like that it's pretty simple in verse 2 he says we got to be lowly humble we've got to be meek strength under control we got to plan on suffering long we got to plan on putting up with each other forbearing and we've got to love one another and all of that coupled with work endeavoring verse number three that was just a little sidebar for you what i want you to see about a trained membership is over in verse number 16 from whom the whole body fitly joined together And compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working, see what he says? Working in the measure of every part, of every part, maketh, that E-T-H in the original language is a continuation, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We need to be trained to the point that we know our place in the body. 1 Corinthians 12 says that God places us in the body. We all have a ministry and we must develop that ministry. We all have ability. You know the parable that Jesus gave. And we must be trained, shown how to do our work in this body, in this family. And when we all get together and do our part, we won't have problems because we will edify ourself in love we need to be involved in training one another how to be a part of this body i'm not talking about the body overall i'm talking about olive branch you you see there's no greater authority given to the autonomous congregation There's no other authority under heaven given to God's people other than in a congregation that is autonomous. Oh, we work together. We have sister congregations. We love one another. You've had support from congregations tonight around the area, but yet the work of the church is carried out in the individual congregation, and that's the only place it has authority. And brothers and sisters, we better get busy training our congregation how to perpetuate itself in love through edification and we all need to be involved in that if we want to see the church grow we're going to have a great commission vision we're going to have a strong servant leadership we're going to have a trained membership number four we're going to have a serving membership There you go again, preacher, saying that. Listen, brothers and sisters, till we get that down, we're going to have problems throughout the whole brotherhood, and that's just what the devil wants us doing, is fighting one another, sitting in a high seat, waiting on somebody else to serve us, when if we'll get down off our high horses and get ourselves dirty in the work of the Lord, in the vineyard of the Lord, then we will see greatness, and we will see the church grow remember last night I said we are at war and the devil wants us we are his targeted population and he wants to keep us from serving one another fifthly if you haven't been paying close attention I want you to pay close attention if we were in a assembly other than one such as this I'd say this is where we all stand up and shake and get wide awake because I want you listening to me closely for two reasons not because I'm saying it but this needs to be said and I want you to be careful to hear what I'm saying so you don't misquote me somebody told me tonight that they could outrun me you just let me get to my truck and we'll see about that so listen to me closely We must involve ourselves for the church's sake in growing her. And we're going to do that through the Great Commission vision, through a strong servant leadership, through a trained membership, through a serving membership, and number five, through an uplifting and inspiring worship. I believe that this generation will go down in history, being known for its worship wars. It disturbs me greatly to see worship perverted. God has made it very simple for us in how we worship. He's given us an opportunity that we come together and that we meet him in his word. We listen to what God has to say. He's given us an opportunity in worship to come and to speak to him. To where we have access by Jesus Christ, our mediator. And because he is our high priest, we have access to the very throne room of heaven. Not only can I hear from God through his word, but he can hear from me through our prayers. God has provided for us a means in the worship assembly. To come and to focus as we have supper with our king. To remember what it took for us to be in this place, the church. To remember that we have a savior. And that when we entered into that watery grave of baptism, we didn't make a a promise, we made a covenant that we would keep till we left this old world. And we gather around that table not only to remember but to remind ourselves and each other that we're in a covenant relationship with him. And in essence, as we commune together as family, I say to you, I'll help you keep the covenant this week if you'll help me keep the covenant. God's provided us a means to do that and he told us very simply how to do it. With unleavened bread and with fruit of the vine. It breaks my heart to see worship perverted We also have God designed a place in our worship to express our emotions through a physical outlet. Did you hear what I said? To express our emotions through a, a physical outlet. It's called singing. Singing is a very physical act. When done appropriately, and by the way, this congregation does a beautiful job under the leadership of Brother Montgomery. But when singing done appropriately, it is physically exhausting. And we can get to the point that we are emotionally attached to God and we should be. And we need to lift our voice in praise and adoration to God. And that's how we get physically involved in worship and expressing our emotions. And it breaks my heart to see worship perverted to foot stomping and hand clapping god has provided for us an opportunity to show him in worship that we realize that all blessings are his that i don't have an account over here at the bank that some board of directors controls or that the federal reserve owns that the community owns some will say god doesn't need an account in that bank he owns the bank he owns the the paper in which the Money's printed on the gold which backs it up, the land on which the bricks and mortar sits. God owns it all. And He's provided for us an opportunity to give back. That's New Testament worship. I don't know why we have gotten to the point in our thinking that it's boring or it's drab. Why does it have to be boring? Why does it have to be drab? Why does it have to be something dreadful? Listening to God speak is a wonderful thing when we go to His Word of all the most writings. It is the most sacred. It is the sacred. It is inspired. And we have an opportunity to hear from God, to gather around His table, and to remember how we got here and why we're here. And we promise each other we'll help each other through the next week as we rally in the blood that jesus shed on the cross and knowing that god himself came down from heaven and became one of us and we remember the suffering on the cross when we can talk to him and when we can lift our voice and praise him and cheerfully hilariously give our money back to him i don't know why worship has to be boring i believe it has to do with the participant's mindset we come and we go through the motions and it's drab and it's drear. We sing those exciting songs about <clears throat> praising God. We sing them so slow and so down that you would think that we were at a pauper's funeral. We're in such a hurry to get out that when we sing, Take Time to be Holy, we have to sing the first and the last verse. Did you hear what I said? We're such a hurry to get out. We sing, take time to be holy, and we only sing the first and the last verse. I'm reminded of this little boy who had been to a worship assembly. I'm not advocating that we do this, but I believe out of the mouths of babes, the truth was spoken. After they had sang a couple of songs, this little three-year-old boy said, as he was being held in the arms of his grandmama, Grandmother, we need to put some boogie in that music. You heard me say I'm not for foot stomping and hand clapping. I believe you're adding to the worship. But I do believe we can cut loose emotionally through the avenue God has given us singing. And we can lift our voices in praise to him to where nobody leaves with a doubt in our mind how we feel about God. If we're going to see the church grow, she's going to have inspiring and uplifting worship. One more point about that. God designed worship. You don't leave it feeling better. That's not its intent. Here hear people go out the back door. I didn't get nothing out of that today. Well, that's not why you came. You came with buckets full to empty in praise to God as we literally kiss up to him. And if you don't leave with an empty bucket, then you hadn't worshiped like God intended for you to. Now, if you leave edified and uplifted and built up, that's a secondary benefit of first century New Testament church worship. And when we begin to understand that, we can't wait to get here. We can't wait to get involved in worship, and we hate to leave. That's the kind of worship that the first century church had, and that's what we must have. I need you to be involved in helping us maintain the church that Jesus built. And we're going to do that by having a great commission vision by having a strong servant leadership, a strong trained membership, a strong serving membership. And it will have an uplifting and inspiring worship. And number six, as a body of God's children, we will meet the needs of people. We'll meet their physical needs. Not a one of us will do without. That's what the body's about. We are a family. And it blows my mind in the church today that we fill out attendance cards. At least where I worship, we fill out attendance cards. We have not just attendance cards, but we got little clipboards on the end of the pew. And you go down and you fill your name out. And we've got someone who comes in the office and gathers all that and documents who is there. But we keep for a secret who was missing at worship. Collectively, we don't tell everybody. We don't publish a list. I believe we ought to publish a list. People say, oh, you're going to put my name on a list that I wouldn't hear. Well, listen, at my house, when we have supper, if you don't show up, supper don't get over till I find out where you are. And why is it we as Christians, when we come together to have supper with the king, and one of us are missing, we won't go hunt them down and find out where they are. If we're going to be family, we're not going to let you be out there when we not know where you are. My mama didn't let me go and not tell her where I was going and when I got there call her and when I left leave and she died four years ago and I did it till the day she died why in the world in the church do we not keep up with each other now that's for those who are in the keeping up business those of you who are in the running business listen to me you need to let your brothers and sisters know where you are they care If you've got a need and we don't know about it, how can we help you meet it? We're not mind readers. Now, I know some of you think we know it all, but we don't. Well, they should have known. I've missed two times and nobody's come to see me. Well, maybe they should have already called, but you know what? Call them and let them know. Knock the chip off your shoulder and start acting like a grown-up we need to meet the needs of one another physically and spiritually in this we need a place to belong Jesus said come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden Matthew chapter 11 you know it he says I'll give you rest well where are you going to get that from Jesus in the church and we need to help you meet your needs spiritually your spiritual needs when you're strong and I'm weak that's when we need each other I've got a sister at Fayetteville that I love so dearly. Uh, She's old enough to be my mother, and that's a compliment. And we have a deal. When I'm weak, she'll be strong, and when she's weak, I'll be strong. I said, God help those who get in our way when we're both weak at the same time. (laughs) But you know, I have spiritual difficulties. I need you to help me through mine. When I'm hurting, I need you to be there to hurt with me, to lift me up. When I'm rejoicing, I need you to be there with me, to keep me grounded. We need to meet one another's spiritual needs. We need to have a place to be secure, and that's only in Christ, First John chapter 1, 7. Folks, I believe we've got to help each other get comfortable in our spiritual skin. Brother Mike and I were talking today, and I thoroughly enjoyed being with him a good part of the day. No doubt you are blessed to have him and his family here. One of the things that concerns me is that we're not comfortable in our spiritual skin. I shared with him, I ask a question sometimes, and I ask the people to take a card from the back of the pew in front of you. You know, that's church lingo. And I ask them to answer two questions for me. Number one, do you believe that God will save your soul? And when I get those cards turned into me, every one of them says yes. The most valuable thing you and I have is our soul. It's far worth more than anything. What I remember the other night, what does a man profit if he the whole world and he loses his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The most valuable thing I have is my soul. And I believe that God will save my soul and I do with all my being. And the next question I ask, if you believe that God will save your soul, do you believe God will help you solve your problems tomorrow? And the answers nine times out of ten are I don't know let me say this, then you're not comfortable in your spiritual skin and you need to allow us to help you grow to where you rely on him to take care of tomorrow just as much as you rely on him to save your soul. We need a place to be secure and that's in the church. And we need a place to be loved wears me out that most of us who are preachers who perform wedding ceremonies the only time we read 1 corinthians 13 is at a wedding and if it's ever out of context it's there the church at corinth had some major issues if you don't believe start in chapter one you'll see that they were divided go to chapter three you'll see that they were carnal go to chapter five you'll see that they were harboring a fornicator and an adulterer Go to chapter 6, you'll see that they were fighting one another like cats and dogs. Go to chapter 8, and they were arguing over what kind of meat they should eat. Back up to chapter 7, and they didn't have a clue about marriage and divorce and remarriage and how to handle all those situations. Jump over to chapter 10. You'll see the problems that they were facing with temptation. Chapter 11, 12, man, what they're doing in the assembly, you see it in chapter 14. But chapter 13 is the answer to every problem they have. And the answer is love. Now listen to me and listen closely. People say, I don't have to like you, but I have to love you. When you understand what love is, it's a whole lot easier to uh, like somebody than it is to love somebody. Love is work. It's not sweaty palms and ooey-gooey feelings. It means that I'm going to up with you it means that I'm going to be kind to you when you don't deserve kindness it means that I'm not going to be puffed up about my accomplishments it means that I'm not going to vaunt myself over you it means that I'm not going to esteem myself higher than you but you higher than me love is work and in the church it is a place for us to be loved If we're going to involve ourselves in perpetuating the church that Jesus built, the greatest institution in all the earth, we're going to meet the needs of people, both spiritual and physical. And then lastly, did y'all hear that? And lastly, you know know how to tell a, a difference of a lady at church who is an optimist and a pessimist? An optimist, sister, is... When the preacher says lastly, she puts her shoes back on. The pessimist says he ain't gonna finish. Lastly, if we're gonna be involved in this church business, I've growing this church. Everybody's gonna have somebody. We're going to be interconnected. Some of you are probably sitting there thinking, is he fixing to start talking about we ought to be in cliques? I believe everybody needs somebody, and I believe the church is the place for it. We're not exclusive in our fellowship. We are inclusive in our fellowship. Oh, we do have certain groups that we're the closest to and certain friends. I've got best friends. Jesus had best friends. Jesus fellowshiped and had a place for people in different levels in his life. John was his best friend. Peter, James, and John were a closer circle, but not as close as John. And then you had the 12 apostles. Oh, they were very close to Jesus, but not as close as Peter, James, and John. And they weren't as close as John was. And then you had the 70 that he sent out. Oh, they were a close-knit group, but they were not as close to Jesus as the apostles were. And the apostles weren't as close as Peter, James, and John were. And Peter, James, and John weren't as close as John was to Jesus. And then you had the 500. Oh, they had a relationship with Jesus, but on a different level. Not the same level that the 70 had, or that the apostles had, or that Peter, James, and John had. Or John had. And then you had the multitudes. You see, Jesus had a special group of friends he ran around with, but everybody had somebody. I like the story of when Peter was in jail and the church had come to Mary's house. A group, a small group, had come to Mary's house to pray. And they were praying that Jesus or that Peter would get out of jail, and you know, Rhoda the damsel went to the door when Peter got out, when Peter was knocking and She got so excited about it being Peter because she knew they were in there praying for him that she didn't go to open the door. She didn't open the gate for him and went in and said, Peter's there. And they said, oh, you're crazy. It's his angel, if it is anything. That was a small group of people who loved Peter who had come together to pray for him. If we're going to grow the church, everybody's going to have a place to belong. Everybody's going to have somebody. You see, this institution called the church that was worthy of the death of God. Remember, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I wish we had time to study the Godhead. We all think it goes like this, Father, Son, Spirit, but it goes Father, Son, Spirit. The church that required the death of God. Jesus, God Jesus, the Son of God. Oh, it's worth our involvement. She's worthy of our work. We must perpetuate her. We must have a great commission vision. We must have a strong servant leadership. We must have a trained membership, a serving membership. We must have uplifting and inspiring worship. And we must meet the needs of people both physically and spiritually. And we must see to it that everybody has somebody I don't know about you, but I know for me that if Jesus loved it enough to die for it, surely I can love her enough to work for her. If you're here tonight and you're not a part of the body of Christ, you can become, and I've shared with you how to do that. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. That means you come out of the sin-living business into the life-living business. You have a change of attitude which brings on a change of action. It's almost like we do a 180 degree turn. We say to the flesh that I'm going to sacrifice you and I'm not going to allow you to sit on the throne of my life. I'm going to allow Jesus. That's repentance. Make the confession. You'll stand before this audience tonight and say I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Not only will you do that in This arena, but you will also do it every day in your life. You'll confess Jesus by the way you live, and people will know that He's Lord of your life. You'll be immersed in water. There, you'll meet the blood that Jesus shed when you obey that form of doctrine. Romans chapter six, that doctrine being the gospel. First Corinthians chapter five, the death. Chapter fifteen, verses one through five, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You will obey that form in baptism. We will bury you in water, and you will be brought up a new creature. Having met the blood of Jesus, Revelation 1.5, that washes away your sins. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you've turned your back on God, come home. I don't know how to say it any plainer. If I knew your name, I'd call your name and say, come home. I believe, and I believe I can demonstrate it from Scripture, that time goes on because God's waiting on his stray children to come back. Remember what Peter said to the persecuted church. He said that he's not slack concerning his promises. He says that you can count on it. He's not willing that any should perish, but all, all will come. I believe time marches on because God's waiting on his children who've strayed to come home. I shared with you the other night, and I'll share it again. I love the story of the prodigal son, that son who flipped his nose in the face of his father and said give me what i want in essence he said i wish he was dead daddy give me my inheritance and he went and squandered it on riotous living his brother said he wasted it on harlots we don't know jesus didn't say in the parable what he wasted it on but we know where he landed he landed in the hog pen and thank god for hog pens because it's there that he came to his senses and he went home he said i'll go home daddy will make me a hired servant daddy's got servants that eat better than i do The father in that parable represents God. The scripture says that the father was standing, watching afar off. When he saw his boy turn that corner for home, that daddy did everything that that culture said was not appropriate. He ran to meet his boy. You tell me that God, in waiting on you, His child that's left to come home. And you don't know the God of heaven that I know. He's waiting now. Ready to run to meet you. And if you're here tonight and you're in that condition, I dare you to give God a chance to run. If we can help you, why don't you come forward while together we stand and sing.